Hello, and welcome to the Flip and Shift podcast. My name is Julie Walls. This podcast was based on the Flip and Shift's tagline, flipping your thinking to then shifting your behavior. The Flip and Shift podcast focuses on temperament to then how we evolve in our thinking to which influences our behaviors. We create belief systems throughout life, which affects the outcomes in our lives. Did you know that you can reprogram these belief systems? to produce the outcomes you so desire. No matter what you're dealing with, there will always be a solution for you. So this podcast should give you some hope. Yay! With each episode, we'll be chatting with leading experts in the field that have overcome struggles of their own. They found their way to overcome areas in their lives that needed focus and are now actually helping others to find their way. We all have a story to share. Let's learn from our past to change our future, and most importantly, inspire and help others along the way. If you are wanting to feel empowered, inspired, and are ready to make those changes in your life, you are subscribed to the right podcast. And hey, thank you so much for your support. Now, grab your favorite drink or snack, turn up the volume, kick back, and enjoy this chat. Today, we are chatting with Kaylee Rodriguez, a clinical psychologist and clinical hypnotherapist. She is also trained in basic ART, which is, is a accelerated resolution therapy. And she got that certification in 2020, and she uses this form of therapy to complement the therapeutic process for such areas as trauma, phobias, OCD, depression, anxiety, addiction, and generally for people who feel stuck. How many of you guys feel stuck lately? All right. We will be discussing with Kaylee how to manage what we see, hear, and learn from social media and online and how it affects our overall mental and physical state of well-being. Without further ado, hi, Kaylee. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? Awesome. I'm good. I'm good. How's the weather in your area? Uh, it's a little bit cooler now. It's cooling down, but today will be a nice day as the, the day progresses. It will be nice and sunny. Nice. Yes. Yay. Okay. So tell us, where are you located? So I'm in Calgary, Alberta. I've been here actually my whole life. So I'm born and raised. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Now you were born and raised. You're in the, that's a pretty fairly large area, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you have dogs, kids, family? What? Just give us a little insight on you. Sure. So I have two girls. I have two daughters and a husband. I often forget to mention him. I, I talk a lot about my kids. My girls are nine and four and a half. They're both really active. My oldest is a competitive soccer player. I'm her coach. Soccer has been, you know, our background. And I say our background, meaning my husband too. We met through soccer as well. So my youngest is into gymnastics and swimming and she'll be starting the soccer journey as well. So Soccer takes up a lot of our fair time. I've got a couple kiddos that are in soccer and oh my gosh, it feels like it's soccer in the summer, soccer yes. in the springtime, <laughs> soccer during the winter. It's Correct. it literally consumes, but you know what? It's what they like to do. And I'm a hundred percent backing whatever it is that they want to, and you know, go after. So awesome. Perfect. Kudos to you. Were you a former soccer player? 
I've played my whole life. So I was playing up until actually just with the pandemic. I've been playing aside from pregnancy. It's been a staple of my own sort of well-being and mental health and coping and stress management. And as a coach, I mean, coaching competitive soccer, it's at least taking up, you know, three times a week at a minimum right now. So it, it is busy. And then Of course, with the pandemic, the initial recommendations was reducing your cohort. So from exposure, so I've opted to not play and to coach for the time being. So it is something I do want to get back into, though. Do you coach? Is it? I know some folks do it remotely, like they're doing Uh drills, you know, with the kids on a Zoom call and they're doing them independently in their home. Is that how you do it? I'm just curious. Uh, initially last year, the indoor season did go into Zoom soccer, as it was called, and it was put on more by the club and, and the academy staff there. But in-person soccer has been happening for us for this outdoor season. So it's been really nice to be able to play, although at the beginning it was physically distant soccer which yeah. is really hard. I mean, even through through some of the indoor season, it's hard to come up with so many drills to be physically distant in soccer. Okay, so let me ask you, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. Sure. Okay, so you've been competitive soccer. What is the farthest you've gone with that? Like what, uh, myself? Me. Yes, I yeah. want to know. Yeah. You're very so- goal-focused, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, like I said, I've always played and through my adolescence and teen years, I was playing through our provincial team here in, in Alberta. So we would play against other provinces. So that was probably my furthest that I've gone. And then I was playing major league soccer here in Calgary in my early 20s and, and whatnot. And as I got a little bit older, I was playing in the top level of like over 30 soccer and stuff like that. That is amazing. <laughs> That is awesome. Kudos to you. So you're very goal driven. Well, in your personal life, and obviously you have a beautiful family. Okay, so let's talk about goal driven in your professional life, because whoa, Nelly, your background is unbelievable. So can you explain or give some, you know, insight onto your professional background? Mm-hmm. So for my professional background, as as mentioned, I'm registered psychologist here in Calgary, Alberta. I pursued other designations and certifications early on in my career, especially in the addiction world, the addiction field. I carried a lot of additional credentials. And then as, as my career evolved, I started looking at, you mentioned the hypnotherapy. So I became clinically certified in hypnotherapy. And the latest endeavor was the art therapy the accelerated resolution therapy. And this year, actually, it's a really unique opportunity with one of my colleagues here, I'm studying neurofeedback. So my colleague and I are doing some neurofeedback training and certification as well. So we completed our education around that and are now working on our hours. So that's been really neat on brain mapping and looking at brain waves and mental health and biofeedback. I 100% love that. Good for you, man. What an extensive background. Now, can I ask you, you know, addiction is a really interesting field to, to explore and to help. Did you just like it or did you, how did you get into the addiction piece? Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. So for myself, I found early on in my career, I started off in the employee assistance program area. So I was working in there and I just kind of naturally fell into doing some addiction work. So I was 
coordinating assessments and like the fitness to work. And, you know, as an example, somebody tested positive at work, they would be required to have an assessment to keep their job, especially in the safety sensitive industries. So I fell into it kind of unintentionally, I guess, but through the process, it brought some bigger understanding, I think, to my personal life and whatnot. So I think as my career has evolved in addiction, and I find that addiction is kind of like a bit of an umbrella, if I can put it that way. And a lot of the other symptoms and and mental health issues, depression, anxiety, and whatnot, trauma, you name it, really fall under that umbrella. So although it sounds very specific, it is very broad in in its implications. Thank you for that. Okay. Speaking of addiction, we're going to talk about (laughs) all that's coming into social media and you know, we're going to talk about some terminology. So I'm so thankful for you to come on because I know you spoke about this on your own platform, you know, and how it's affecting people. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, communication in society and, and how it's changed, you know, our mental health arena or however you want to say it, how it's affected people. So I want to share just a little bit of of statistics that I pulled from spotlightonresearch.com and also some other psychology websites. So of the 7.5 billion people on the planet, 4 billion use the internet, mind blowing, right? 3.3 are active on social media users. They've kind of broke it down in regards to platforms. Facebook is number one. I'm like, go figure, right? Okay, so that was pulled from We Are Social 2018. It's the statistics portal. So you guys can fact check that if you want to. And then also, this is a quote, excessive usage of social media has become a growing issue. People are addicted, which I like, you're the perfect person to bring on and talk about this. I'm so grateful to you. People are addicted to social media. A study specifically found Facebook, like I just mentioned, the top social media platform for social media addiction. Now, this is taken from the development of Facebook addiction. It's Anderson, Torsham, Brunborg, and Paleason. I don't know if I pronounced that name correctly, from 2010. And then lastly, which she's going to talk about all this, you guys, which I'm, I'm really fascinated to break it down. There are creating terminology such as Facebook depression, SNS, which stands for social network site, addiction, eye disorder, and FOMO. Okay. I, I really thought these terms were made up, but I fact checked this. So FOMO is the acronym for fear of missing out in the mental health world. And that's taken from O'Keefe and Clark Pearson, 2011 pediatrics journal. So you guys can fact, fact check check that, but I just thought those statistics are pretty amazing. So I want to talk with you a little bit about your perspective on what you have seen with the mental health and the changes in the way that we have learned to communicate in society. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like communication has really shifted. And, you know, we look at some of the younger generation even, and I think everybody can relate where you go to a restaurant type idea and people are on their phones. And I remember I just came back from some holiday time and I walked into a restaurant with my kids and there was four teens at the table and they were all all kind of plugged into their phones exactly so our communication is has definitely shifted and what that even looks like you know from texting picking up the phone is something that is you know it, it seems like it's a inconvenience you're supposed to text me first to see if you can call type idea right that it's idea like, no. 
Yeah. You know and I will say I'm one of those people that have done that numerous times. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. But there's all these yeah. like unspoken expectations and, yeah. and whatnot around communication. So it really has shifted yeah. and social media, you know, all these different chat platforms, so many different, yeah, just platforms is the word that I would use that people communicate through rather than face-to-face contact. Yeah. Well, and it's so funny because I'm going to ask you another question and all of your background, and I'm sure you've seen the history of communication and the changes. So, you know, some older adults will say times have changed dramatically. We didn't see this much mental health problems back in the day. So have you seen a significant change from 1960s till now? Mm-hmm. Well, wasn't born in the 60s. So I, I know that. <laughs> I I'm baby. <laughs> yeah, so I can't speak yes. directly personally to that. Yes, However, yes. <laughs> I do feel it's a bit of uh, twofold in the sense that people are having more conversations these days. Mental health, it's an open topic. So it's not so taboo like, or, you know, there still is stigma and whatnot, but it isn't as extensive as it used to be. So, you know, in that regard, I feel like there's more awareness and more openness to talking about these topics. So from an increase, perhaps it's just based on having conversations and an openness for people to to talk about or come forward. There's more safety in that. On the other side, too, as you mentioned, addiction being a big background for me in my work, I do see technology, media, social media, all these types of things as other layers or symptoms of how addiction will show up with people. So it's just another avenue, just like alcohol or drugs would be. Social media, electronics, technology, cell phones, etc. are just a video gaming for that matter. They're all, they're just another symptom of how this disease will manifest in people. And I feel like through the evolution of technology and social media being our topic today is it's accessible, right? It's accessible anywhere anytime, that sort of thing. So the brain can constantly seek out these hits and get relief and reward from social media or whatever avenue, just based on accessibility of our phones. Isn't that crazy? I'm really dating myself here, but I mean, I didn't get a a phone. I remember in end of high school, you had those bat phones and it was only to be used for emergency purposes. But before that, you know, we had the TVs where you had to turn the, you know, the knob and then my dad would put on whatever news network at night at six o'clock, you know? So now I look at that. I look at that, you know, change just in 20 plus years, you know, the change and how dramatic it is. And like you said, how everybody just has everything. It's so accessible, right? Right. In your hand. And I can see how people don't have to wait for anything. They just access it. And then you know what? You're hooked. So I see that addiction piece coming into play. Now, Here's my question for you. What do you see as far as emotional changes that people are dealing with in regards to social media, this type of communication? What are you seeing from a a clinical perspective? What I would call it is a dysfunctional emotional response. So what I see is more, you know, we talk about anxiety, depression, anger, you know, different outbursts, things like that. But these outbursts don't just show up as like a panic attack or anxiousness or crying, like tears coming out of nowhere when someone says, hey, how's it going? And it's like, where did that come from? Or, you know, from an anger management type of perspective, it's like, you know, reactive to traffic and just really this hyper reactivity. The other element is 
numbness. So people are emotionally numb. And that's another form that this dysfunctional emotional response can occur and look like as well. So even when people will share about something that perhaps, you know, even from a trauma lens is sounds really, you know, really hard or really challenging, and they share about it, and they have a big smile on their face, like it's a disconnect between what we see on the outside versus what the reality is. So these dysfunctional emotional responses will show up in in different ways, not just in, in an outburst that we might classically think of it as. Oh, yeah, that's a really good breakdown. Thank you so much for that. And I like the point that you said about emotional numbness. That is so true because you do see, I mean, I'm just thinking of examples right now of what I see in kids, my kids, friends. I mean, it, that just hits the nail on the head for me. So Mm -hmm. thank you for pointing that out. My next question is I mentioned, you know, when I was talking about the statistics and just some citations, I talked about eye disorder. You're familiar with that. First and foremost, can you explain eye disorder, I, the letter I, you guys, not I, eye disorder, what it is, and some of the signs and symptoms of eye disorder? Mm-hmm. So eye disorder, to me, my, my viewpoint on it is addiction manifesting through the internet, like social media, etc. And what that means is there's signs and symptoms of mental health issues such as OCD, addiction, depression, anxiety that occur with increased usage. So that's kind of a, a basic definition of what eye disorder means. Okay. And how can you catch it? Like, I mean, how can you catch the signs of it? Mm -hmm. I think how you become more aware of it is you look at your relationship with these things. So it's our attachment. So do we have a healthy attachment or relationship with our phone? Do we have a healthy attachment relationship with fill in the blank? Is that Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. And what happens is, is some of that irritability and agitation, like I think a lot of parents can relate, they, you know, put limits on the iPad or something like that, and there's resistance. So what will happen is, is the brain does go into a natural withdrawal state. And even at the the threat or, you know, the comments or the limits placed upon, okay, you know, five minute break and, you know, five minutes, you're going to have a break from this. And when we get that agitation and irritability is the brain is going into a withdrawal state that's happening. So what we want to do is, is look to have healthy relationships. So if we're finding that it's taking up more headspace, that's going to be a, a sign and symptom and clue that this attachment is coming into an unhealthy state, how much headspace, like from a a time perspective. So even if we look at, you know, we're having a conversation, you and I right now, if you can hear your phone buzz in the background, how does that affect you? Do you have craving? Is there an urge and desire to, I really want to see what's happening, right? That's a great example. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a good one. I'm yes. sorry, continue. No, that's okay. So people will have urges and they don't even necessarily have awareness that they're pulling it out and taking a look. And the other person sitting across from them is like, hey, I was talking to you. You know what's happening here? And oh, I didn't realize. Or, you know, we well, get I just tuned think into about that. the psychology behind the other person sitting there. I mean, they're starting to, you know what I mean? If you're sitting across from somebody and the phone places more relevance on the, the personal connection you're not only affecting yourself, but you're affecting other people that are trying to engage with you. Right. Okay. Yes. Good. Thank you. Yeah. So there's, there's also a diminished recognition of your relationship with yourself, but also with other people as well. Yeah. So see those problems. 
Yeah. So I feel like, you know, boundaries, mental and physical boundaries are so important to piggyback off of what you just said, especially for parents. And that was kind of my next question is how can you manage that? And especially for kids, oh my gosh, you're starting to, I don't know about you, but if you sit around in the restaurant and you look and you see these kids as young as eight years old, carrying phones, my children hate me (laughs) as a parent because they said that I'm the only parent that's not allowing them to have any sort of phone or access to, you know, internet. And I'm like, all right, cry me a river. (laughs) Even my high schooler is like, mom, this is so embarrassing, but I'm like, so what? Right. Mm -hmm. But you're seeing that. And, you know, what's some advice. And again, you may want to disclaim to give to parents to help manage what they're seeing, they're reading and listening to. Yeah. So to your point, the advice or information I share is, is just for information purposes. It doesn't constitute a therapeutic relationship by any means. And to your point on boundaries, really, it it comes down to conversation with your children and having healthy parameters and boundaries. I think, you know, it does become easy, easier, quote unquote, to, you know, allow for extensive screen time. And, and I do feel for for parents in general, I mean, I'm not sure exactly the implications of the pandemic where you've been, but you know, people working from home, and their kids are home, and they're trying to, you know, no access to childcare and stuff like that. So I do appreciate and respect that there, there are challenges, but we do the best we can with what we have is is really what I would put out there from a compassion standpoint point. But taking a look at some limits and and some healthy, you know, boundaries. So that can be from a time standpoint. It can even be from an element of what apps your children have access to. So in our house, as an example, I don't have YouTube as something accessible to my children because it's a bit of a rabbit hole, like many of these platforms that we're, you know, talking about today in general. The other thing, as I said, is open conversation. So I have, as I mentioned, my nine-year-old, and I had a conversation with her the other day is just how these apps, games, et cetera, how they're designed is to hook the brain. So they do have a direct impact on the brain. So me putting limits on her isn't a punishment. It's not coming from that place. It's coming more from a health perspective. And the other layer that I also throw in there for her is how do you feel? Notice how you're feeling when it's time to turn it off. Notice how much, you know, headspace or how much you're thinking about it or, you know, that that idea. And she has explicitly said to me in the past, I don't like feeling this way. I don't like that my brain is so focused on this. And I said, that's great awareness. So what can you do with that, right? What do you feel you need within that? So I think it's having conversations maybe in a different way as opposed to kind of this punishment control tactic these boundaries can be, you know, expressed and, and conversed about in a different way. And I think it starts with education. We don't know what we don't know. Right. Oh my gosh. I love your last two points, the education piece and getting them to be emotionally aware, I think is so brilliant for parents to listen to that. You guys, if you need to rewind this and listen to that again. So thank you so much for explaining that. That's so helpful. Thank you. Okay. So my next question is, So I talked about the acronym FOMO. I think it's awesome. So there is a a real social media psychology phenomenon that's called FOMO. It's called fear of missing out. And I can see this is especially true. I mean, with nowadays, I mean, everybody is hooked and we're not going to go into 
you know, the world's events right now, but everybody is glued to their phone, social media, to the television, and we're clinging to minute to minute. Now, what have you seen as far as emotional, you know, well-being behaviors that are detrimental and how it's impacting your clients? The FOMO element, fear of missing out, it is like fear to me when I hear fear, it's anxious, anxiety. So that's often how it will be experienced in the body is that anxious type feeling, you know, an increased heart rate, you know, the palpitations that way, any of that jittery type feeling, that anxious panic state. So that's how it will be experienced. Those are your clues in your body, but then also in your, your thoughts and feelings. And then what will happen is, is people will be plugged in and accessing and it gives relief. So again, when we look at addiction in general, it, it's affected by reward seeking, relief seeking and escape seeking. And our circuitry in the brain that's involved is memory, motivation, and reward. So what will happen is the brain gets hooked into that and it gets relief when it plugs into the phone and sees the latest, whatever it's looking for, right? And that can be on a global scale and it can be in in just your own specific like school world as an example with, with the teens and, you know, what's happening or how many likes or how many hearts or whatever has this pit, picture received or, you know, so on and so forth. So it can show up in lots of different ways in that regard. But it, the FOMO is often in anxiety. But the other element that I would throw in there is shame. So shame is that deep feeling of not being good enough. And that's where we will measure, you know, the engagement, the engagement of the post or the engagement, the comments, et cetera, help elevate people in an artificial way. That's the intoxication element where the brain looks for validation. So it becomes intoxicating and we feel enough. But what happens is, is when we don't get that, the brain goes into reverse state and we feel shame and we don't feel good enough. And the world feels like it's crashing down. You just hit some major points for those folks that struggle with not feeling enough. That is such a behavior that I see where they're, you know, they'll complain about how, Oh, I only got so many likes or I, I got only so many hits and it becomes an obsession, right? Right. So And, you know, I see that with social media influencers and I have to start stepping back and thinking, how is that affecting their brain chemistry, how they relate in their life, how relationships are being affected. So I want to ask you with everything that we see here and listen to, are you seeing that social media and, you know, internet communications and things like things like that, how is it affecting our personal and professional relationships? I think, you know, through that shame lens, as an example, it creates this hook of looking for constant validation, rather than the word I use from a healthier perspective is affirmation. So if I'm connected to my internal sense of self, my self esteem, my concept, all of those types of elements, what happens externally to me isn't so mood altering, because I'm connected to myself, I'm aware of, you know, my own belief systems about myself, etc. But if I'm disconnected, and social media and all these different elements, we plug out rather than plug in is the expression I use. So what will happen is, is we use those externals as a measure. Mm -hmm. And it becomes, again, mood altering. So if I get that engagement, if I get it, then I've done a good job rather than being connected to I feel like I've done a, a good job regardless of what the outcome is. 
So they're very different when we're connected internally to ourselves versus the unhealthy puts us in an external validation seeking element. The flip side to that is there's fear of disapproval. So we get some backlash or whatever that might be. And our world feels like it, again, it, it's coming crashing down on us. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I'm just trying to summarize. So really connecting into your self needs, right? Mm-hmm. And then I also find, and what I've read is that some folks can't make the connection to what they're seeing, what they're engaging in on social media and, and how their behavior is with their partner, with their friends. Right. And, you know, especially maybe looking for disapproval type, you know, responses. I mean, what you just said right there, people need to really evaluate that in their <laughs> lives, because, you know, if we do have that iPhone addiction or social media addiction, it is rolling into your personal and professional relationships. It just is. And you may not even be able to consciously connect the dots. Right. Correct. Yeah. Oh gosh. Awesome. Our our awareness would be lacking. We don't necessarily have capacity to see it. And the other comment I would just like to make about that is, you know, what we see in social media, regardless of platform fuels a lot of fantasy. So fantasy is another form of craving. So craving isn't just for, you know, picking up the phone and checking. Craving is also in our stories, our fantasy of how life is supposed to look like, how our, you know, family pictures, smile, that sort of thing is supposed to look like. Nobody sees the hour battle to get everybody to smile at the same time before the picture. But we create a story in our mind of what it's supposed to look like. So again, fantasy leads to a lot of, I think, assumption-based thinking as well. So there isn't any evidence necessarily to support what you're seeing in front of you, but we make an assumption that that is somebody's truth. So do our insides match our outsides and vice versa with other people? And oftentimes what you see posted is about like a fantasy. It is kind of just those, you know, optimal moments or, you know, those great moments rather than the rawness and the realness. So we miss out on authentic and genuine connection. That was so good. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. Okay. So now uh, Kaylee, people are struggling. Can you share with us? Do you have programs? What do you have available to help tools, techniques, or, you know, what do you have available to help folks that are struggling? So there's a variety of resources that are out there. And, you know, first and foremost, in my private practice, YYC Psychology, I offer individual work. So, you know, if somebody wants to start exploring this, they're having some awareness, you know, I'm feeling irritable, or, you know, I'm feeling discontentment and things like that, or anxiety, depression, etc. Well, what I encourage is access some individual work. If you feel that this is getting to be a little more extensive and problematic, and you might need some additional resources. I'm also an associate psychologist to a a private office here in Calgary called Health Upwardly Mobile, HUM for short. And it is a, a team, we're an integrative team. So it's a holistic health model. And we offer programming from individual work to group therapy to an intensive outpatient program. So there are resources and resources that I'm specifically connected to as well that would be applicable. And I, I do appreciate HUM because there is multiple levels And yeah, just multiple levels of treatment that people can access as needed. 
Oh, that's awesome. Now, okay, can I ask, I know we're, we're talking about online stuff. Is it accessible online for like folks that are in the deep 50, like down in the United so States? With my licensing body for myself here, and I'll just speak to psychologists or about psychologists. So I'm limited. I can only see people within province. Um, so I do do some virtual counseling as, as appropriate. My preference is face-to-face. Our work here at HUM is face-to-face as well. So our programming is all in person. And we do have a social worker as well. And, and the limitations and our, you know, perhaps the, the limitations on me as a psychologist are different for a social worker. So as an example, my, my colleague here from a team member perspective can access and provide support to people, you know, cross-border and things like that, I believe, based on his own professional guidelines and his governing body. Okay. Wonderful. Well, people have options. And I think kind of to get away from the social media, you know, it's wonderful to be virtually available to folks, Mm -hmm. but there's something about that in person that connection. Yeah. Yes. And I'm thankful for all of my psychologists, my psychiatrists that have been on that connection, that energy that you get when you're face-to-face with somebody who's actively listening, Mm -hmm. it's invaluable. Yeah. So thank you for what you do. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I saw that you were trained in 2020 in ART therapy, and I would love for you to talk a little bit about that. I know we have a little bit of a common link to that because I did art therapy back in my master's program a long time ago. So please share with us what art therapy is, ART therapy is, and how you incorporate that with your clients. So what drew me into ART at the beginning was just the versatility of it. So in my training about it, it's, it's often used from what the instructor was saying was like a standalone modality for therapy. And I like to use it as a complement in my practice, especially given the clients that I do see. I do see them, you know, kind of on a longer term basis, not all the time, but people who, who tend to, to come in seem to, to want to really explore. And I find that there's different layers that get sort of exposed, if I can put it that way. So it's like the onion, right? You peel one layer, you expose another, and I'll use it as a compliment. So the way that it works is it looks at remapping how memories are stored in the brain. So it's based on eye movement therapy. More common people know is EMDR, but it isn't the same accelerated resolution therapy, as they say, it's accelerated, hence why it's in the name. So people do have benefits after a session. And, you know, they say in the training as well, one to five sessions typically will help move something along, especially on a complex trauma type of element. But I really appreciate how I don't, I don't look at it like a a cure, which I think is a vulnerability for people where they're like, okay, I've got this issue, one session, it'll be fixed. Like I said, it will remap how something's stored. So what they say is you keep the facts, you just lose the problem images, sensations, and feelings that are connected to it. So we remember how something happened, but all of those really triggering images and feelings that come up with it no longer have that hold. They're not there anymore. So as I said, it's not a cure in the sense that, okay, done, my healing journey's over. It allows us to continue forth in our healing journey. So it will remove some of those roadblocks, whatever they might be, and you can continue forward in exploring your yourself and in your well-being. That's how I like to use art therapy in my practice. Okay. So it does have some, like I said, some immediate effects. It is a really valuable tool that I really appreciate. It is a very um, sort of scripted and sequential process. Okay. Um, there are steps that are involved. Uh, 
there's use of eye movements and points of talking and processing. So it is a, a really interesting and neat process. I, I really do enjoy doing it. That's cool. Yeah. So I, on a personal level, I did EMDR for several years Uh And, you know, I had to go to an EMDR specialist, which to me, you know, in my research, it sounds like it's a smidgen different. You're not requiring for the machine, right? I mean, you can do this. Can you do ART virtually? ART, no. You cannot. No, EMDR, you can, but ART, no. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. And what it sounds like to me is it's an offshoot or probably similar to the reprogramming modality, which is really fascinating and really helpful for clients. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. 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 And I guess it just, it has an immediate effect to reprogram how those memories are stored. So it is, it is pretty powerful. And I find it actually quite spiritual as well, because the brain will kind of create its own imagery. And I do find there's some really beautiful themes and consistent themes that show up in those sessions. So I, I really do enjoy them as well. They're quite profound in that regard. The other thing is with ART is you're talking or you're thinking about memories that you're connected to. Whereas from my understanding with EMDR, and I'm not trained in EMDR, is that it's kind of like going on the hunt and bringing up stuff. And my philosophy and my work is that the brain will recall what it's ready to recall when it's ready to recall. So that's why I've never explored EMDR for myself is I don't feel that it's a hundred percent therapeutic fit for me. Whereas Mm -hmm. ART, I I really sort of appreciated the parameters around it. The brain is, is recalling what it needs to, as it needs to. I love that you, that you found what connects to you. So you can share that with your patients and clients. That's wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, and you know, in respect to my experience with EMDR, what you just said, it's a hundred percent forced bringing up the details of a trauma. Right. Mm -hmm. But sometimes with folks that, you know, I'm just going to speak on my behalf. Sometimes our brains protect us. Mm -hmm. So trying to force that is like the impossible task that I found. And then what unfortunately develops behind it is emotions of failure of like, Oh, I, why, why can't I access that detail? well, my brain is not ready to reveal it. Right. Right? So, you know, unfortunately with EMDR, I gave it a really good go, but sounds similar to what you're doing worked for me. Yeah. Good job. Awesome. Thank you you so much. Okay. So I want to ask you a couple questions that are really important in my podcast. First and foremost, what inspires you with the work that you do? My clients inspire me, quite honestly. I think, you know, everybody that comes in the door on the computer screen, they're inspiring. It takes a hell of a lot of courage and bravery to to be real and to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I often will say I walk alongside people. It isn't about a pedestal of, you know, talking down to people or this is what you should do, that sort of thing. It's a collaboration. And I'm inspired by the work that my clients do and just showing up for themselves, you know, going back to what we talked about from a social media standpoint, we can hide behind so many screens, right? So, and we can hide behind so many different images. So when I find people come in, there's a willingness and an openness and and a level of honesty that I'm just really inspired and grateful to be a part of. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. That's awesome. So now my next question is, what words of encouragement would you give folks that are starting to recognize that they are dealing with some 
OCD, addiction to social media, they're feeling anxious, they're struggling with it with their children, they're struggling with for themselves, and they just kind of are lost at this point Mm -hmm. right now. What words of encouragement or a hope rope would you give them today? Mm -hmm. As cliche as it sounds, you're not alone. I think, again, it's that idea of isolation or we're unique in our own experiences. We're the only ones, that sort of thing. So I feel like, again, social media and things like that creates a a pretty picture. But authenticity and vulnerability is key. So you're not alone in those experiences. And when you can come together, whether it's an individual treatment or group therapy or a program of some sort, what happens is, is there's a community that's created. And I feel that a community element is powerful. And at HUM, what we say at the end of each group is keep coming back. It works if you work it. And they say that in AA as well, and you're worth it. So keep coming back. I love that. Yes, AA. I love AA. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, I just want you to make sure to get your information out there so people can connect with you. So do you mind breaking down your website information, any pertinent information that people can write down so they can connect with you? I will also plug that into this podcast episode, you know, in the, in the commentary and in the introduction piece and also on Facebook, but will you mind sharing all your information? Sure. So my private practice, as I mentioned, is YYC Psychology. So I, you know, on social media, I have an Instagram handle and all of these different elements. So I'm at YYC Psychology on Instagram. My website is yycpsychology.com. I'm on Facebook as well. And I find it interesting. I get those ads where I can buy you 10,000 followers or things like that. And I just delete. For me, it's all about authenticity, quality, not quantity, that sort of thing. And then I also mentioned uh, being an associate psychologist here at Health Upwardly Mobile as well. And that website is healthupwardlymobile.net. Instagram is at humcalgary, H-U-M. And we're on Facebook as well. So there's all those layers. Wow, you guys, she's got all these places to connect with her. She's a fantastic person to connect with and offering all these services. So you guys just don't struggle. Don't stay stuck. Connect with Kaylee at yycpsychology.com. All right, you guys, thank you you so much for tuning in. Thank you, Kaylee. You're amazing. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm so glad we connected through Instagram and we just, you know, made this happen today. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Really good information to share. So thank you guys and stay tuned for our next episode. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Wow. What a great episode and a special thank you to our expert today. I hope today's episode inspired you, empowered you, and gave you some hope today. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode. Cheers, my friend. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, review, or even share this podcast to someone who needs hope and inspiration. You can connect with me at www.flipinshift.com. Follow me on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even Clubhouse at Flip in Shift. Please join me next time for another expert chat or Survivor Talk.